Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Jane Green. Jane is the Operations Manager at Cassie Care and the Director of Nursing at Thornton Manor Care Home in Chester. Jane, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. You're welcome. It's an absolute pleasure, Jane. Now, um, the purpose of um, this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership. And leadership, I think it's fair to say, is something that's really come under the limelight and really been put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With the COVID-19 pandemic, no less, and different leaders in business and in government having to feel their way through this unprecedented crisis. So for somebody working on the front line within care, such as yourselves, how has it been trying to get through the last few weeks and months? Because I can imagine the challenges have been phenomenal. Yes, it's been very challenging, Scott. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, with social distancing as well and trying to oversee the management and the running of a uh, provision when you're not really able to actually, you know, uh, visit that provision to make sure that everything is in place, the staff and the residents and the clients are all being cared for and looked after, that they have all the PP equipment that they need and all the support that they need. It's been very challenging. And how have the staff at uh, Cassie Care um, across the country and also at Thornton Manor found it? Because um, it's been a very, very difficult and very tragic time, of course. But we've heard so many great stories, especially from the front line, about how people, whether they've had to remote work or whether they've been continuing to go in on site and um, have had to adhere to new safety procedures, how they've gone above and beyond in this time of adversity just to keep things ticking over and keep care provision going. Well, during this difficult and unprecedented time, there's, I, we know we've heard that there's been many incidents of kindness and self-sacrifice throughout the country. And with a large portion of the population being unable to visit their loved ones. Um, but to take action and to actively remove yourself from family and friends in order mm. to protect your residents in your care, in my opinion, is an act of extreme self-sacrifice, compassion. And this is the action that's been taken by staff at Thornton Manor. The manager and the staff took the decision to self-isolate with the residents as they recognised from the onset of coronavirus that the residents who they cared for were particularly vulnerable. And their decision was immediate. And by placing their lives and the well-being of the residents before their own needs, they made that ultimate sacrifice not to see their children or families. And it's an incredibly noble and an incredibly inspiring thing to do that, isn't it? And um, I can imagine there's also been a great deal of uncertainty during this time as well. Of course, there's been a lot of... um, debate over the clarity of certain safety guidelines, uh, PPE procurement has been very difficult as well. And a lot of people may be worried about what the future actually holds. So I can imagine from a leader's perspective, um, you've had to have some quite challenging conversations with people just to try and keep communication channels open and keep people reassured. Well, definitely. I mean, I speak to the manager at Thornton Manor and the uh, managers of the other provisions within the organisation on a daily basis. Uh, we do have weekly meetings, albeit in the car park, um, the socially distanced. But, I mean, as for PPE, the uh, manager of the nursing home is still waiting for PPE mm. to be delivered. So all the PPE he's had has been what 
we have sourced ourselves. I mean, I've driven around the country myself to collect PPE for them. So it has been a very, very worrying time. And the staff have been very worried and very anxious throughout this time because there's been so much uncertainty. I mean, what we've tried to do for the staff is to ensure they've got somebody to talk to. Um, obviously, the manager's there, but they have my contact details if they want to contact me via WhatsApp, Facebook. We've also uh, given them um, the contact details of a psychologist who's not employed by us, um, but the organisation is paying for her service, and she's there to support the staff. If they feel that there's any concerns and worries, it could be regarding their home life, it could be regarding their children, um, and also they're in touch with our HR department as you know, as and when they feel they need it. And I understand as well that um, the Thornton Manor in particular has enjoyed some considerable growth um, over previous years. Of course, there's a petting zoo on site um, for the residents and there were plans that were outlined in the parliamentary review back in uh, January, February, indispensable guide to best practice, of course, that the home was also looking to sort of expand for staff, maybe have plans to build um, a new physiotherapy room, for example. Um, Have those plans, Jane, been put on hold as a result of the COVID crisis? Not at all. Our um, staff have kept on and they've cracked on with uh, all the things that we wanted to put in place. Oh, fantastic. The uh, therapy rooms are currently in the process of being built because they're being built by the staff on site. At Mm. the moment, we're not having to have any outside contractors in um, because our maintenance team, where they're self-employed and work throughout the company, because of coronavirus, we did not want them moving from... Uh, provision to provision. So they've stayed at Thornton Manor. So they've done all that. Um, the animals outside are obviously a great um, relief for the staff and for the residents to be able to go out there and have some interaction with something else and, um, you know, just to have that feeling of being able to touch an animal so they don't feel so isolated, um, definitely. I can imagine for morale that's incredibly important because there's been a real renewed focus during this time, hasn't there, on the importance of mental health and well-being. And that's going to be something that's going to be important to take forward, um, not just in the care industry for staff who may well be sort of exhausted and traumatised at these sort of hours they're putting in and what they've seen, but also for residents as well. I mean, they're going to need that morale booster because essentially they're stuck indoors themselves um, and not able to go out because they are vulnerable. Oh, definitely. I mean, we were lucky enough because of our plans as well going forward that we'd actually just finished completing um, an outdoor golf course. Only a small golf course for the residents, but it's there. Um, So that is something else that the uh, residents can enjoy with the staff as well. I mean, we've had some fantastic, lovely weather, so that's really, really helped. We've also got a physiotherapist um, and a wellbeing team who are employed by the organisation. Now, they've been basically, you know, based at Thornton Manor for the time being, and they also offer such things as massage for the staff, well-being time for the staff, because it is a worrying time. And just for a member of staff to be able to have that 10 minutes or half an hour away and just to relax with it amongst themselves has been a great boost for them.
And in terms of the future uh, now, uh, Jane, what do you think the long-term prospects are for the sector as a whole? Because there's a lot of talk of the new normal that's going to uh, come into place. During the lockdown, of course, visits to care homes have been significantly reduced. So what do you see as being sort of the long-term future and the long-term sort of running procedure? I think in the, um, you know, in, in the first instance, the manager has done, you know, a very in-depth contingency plan and he'll be looking at maybe um, when relatives can start to um, come back into Thornton Manor on um, an appointment system so that he knows exactly who is in the building and where they're visiting. If there becomes an outbreak, he can know exactly where to pinpoint and to source that outbreak. So rather than the doors being thrown open and people just coming in and going out, we know exactly who's coming in, when, what time, any outbreak, go back and, and, and source that outbreak and to try and minimise it. So I think going forward, I think there's going to be a big change throughout the country. Throughout the country. I think, you know, people can realise they can work from home. It, things can be managed from home. Things can be, you know just as productive as well. And I think as well, staff morale, I think staff will realise how supportive they feel as a team by their work colleagues. And I think they'll become a closer, um, closer-knit and a happier um, team and environment. And if we think about um, Cassie Care and we think about Thornton Manor very specifically now, before we do we'll wrap things up on the programme today, Jane, what do you hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic, hopefully emerge from the other side and begin to look toward the long-term future and the new normal? I think the new normal for uh, Thornton Manor will be very much focused on um, the outside, bringing the outside in. Um, obviously, you know, we are still... Um, in the process of building the therapy rooms, that is going to be a big thing. Um, but I think it's going to be an expansion. And, and looking back and reflecting on the good things that have happened throughout this pandemic and taking all that excellent work forward and working and expanding on it. Let's certainly hope that that does happen uh, for sure, uh, Jane. It would be great to see um, the uh, the work of uh, Thornton Manor and Cassie Care expand in that sense and the offering really to be pushed uh, beyond the boundaries. And, you know, I think given how informative it's been discussing these issues on the programme today, it would be great if at some point in the next year we could have you back on to discuss where things are at at that point in time and what's changed as well. I think that would be really informative. That would be lovely and it would be nice because um, I think, you know, then I can give you an update because at the moment, you know, looking forward is just a speculation. Of course. Um, but going forward, if I came back on, would be to look back at what we think is going to happen now and then, you know, in the future, looking back and think, well, this actually did happen or, you know, we're still planning of course, because at this point in time, given the uncertainty, we can only speculate. And there are a great many variables, such as the potential for second spikes in cases, for example. And that's going to have a big bearing on the economic recovery. So it's still very uncertain. And it would be great, as I said, to uh, be able to look back and hopefully have some positive news to share in the other uh, months to come for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you ever so much, Jay, and it's been a real pleasure having you join us on the programme today. And most importantly, in the meantime, until we do touch base again, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because we're certainly not out of the woods yet. Thank you, Scott.
That was Jane Green speaking, Operations Manager at Cassie Care and Director of Nursing at Thornton Manor Care Home. Coming up next on today's programme, however, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and that is coming up next. We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters. 
who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bobby Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. 
there was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of, very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? 
And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you 
as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely... Mm. You've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. 
and I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many many times for the success of the team. We had some great and players. It- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and attuning uh, uh, your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, Another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.